and welcome to the All Sorts of Thoughts podcast. I'm Felice and I take they, them pronouns. And I'm Nathaniel and I take he, him pronouns. All Sorts Youth Project listens to, supports and connects children and young people under 26 who are lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans or unsure of their sexual orientation and or gender identity. Find us on Twitter at All Sorts Youth, Instagram and Facebook at All Sorts Youth Project or on our website allsortsyouth.org.uk. In today's episode of All Sorts of Wellbeing, we will be interviewing the inspiring All Sorts staff member, Anna Rocha. Anna has years of experience and runs the All Sorts group Open Minds. The theme that the interviewer Lucy explores with Anna includes tips on things that we can all do to encourage good mental well-being, as well as lots of other questions. We're looking forward to sharing this with you. We will also have some book reviews as part of this episode. So, Nathaniel, what's your favourite thing to go on at a play park? My favourite thing would be flying, but in safety, so going on the swings. Yeah, I like the swings too. It's that kind of flying going as high as you can, trying to convince your friends not to push you because then they'll push you off. (laughs) (laughs) So, hi, welcome to the interview portion of the podcast. Today, we have with us Anna. Hi. If you'd like to introduce yourself and maybe say a bit about what you do here at All Sorts. So my name is Anna, I take she, her, and I'm an LGBT youth worker at All Sorts. And my main roles at All Sorts include leading the in-person 16 to 25 groups in Brighton and delivering Talk It Out one-to-one emotional support through the Talk It Out service. And also, really, really excited to announce, I'm going to be delivering two monthly online open minds mental health and well-being sessions per month as of October so that's kind of my role in a nutshell yeah you really do a bit of everything there don't you Anna so before we start the questions proper we always do a few little silly questions to get you feeling a bit more comfortable so first up if you were an egg what type of egg would you be I would be a hard-boiled egg but with a soft center because I'm a bit tough and I've got a really good protective shell that I've built up over the years through lots of different tools and tricks and tips, but I've got a really kind of soft, gooey centre. But there you go. Great answer there. The notes for the question says, oh, what about me? What about you, Lucy? If you were an egg, what egg would you be and why? No, I've thought about this and I do think scrambled because I am a bit all over the place. You could reframe that as versatile. There we go. That's a proper mental attitude. So next in the line of silly, lighthearted, all that stuff. If you could only take one album on holiday, what would you take? I would take an album by an artist called Anna of the North. She's really cool. She's Norwegian and she's got the same name as me. So that makes her like extra cool. And I would take her first album with me because I just really love it. It's got some really good pop songs and lots of sing-along songs, and I think it would keep me entertained. For me, it's always Rumours by Fleetwood Mac. Oh, good choice. That's a great album. Oh, can I take that as well? Or is that not allowed? Why not? Go on. (laughs) Yay, thank you. 
Okay, now to get more into the actual questions portion of this. So, first up, what ignited your interest in supporting people with their mental health? Oh, that's a good question. When I was a young person, I actually really struggled with my mental health. So as an older teenager, I really had quite a tough time and I felt quite unsupported at that time. So I felt quite strongly that I wanted to be able to help others and support others who were kind of going through similar experiences. And I feel really fortunate and privileged actually that I've had the opportunity to be able to do that and to achieve that, which feels really amazing. But yeah, it's super important to me. And I think over the years also, because I've had that experience as a young person myself, I've been able to kind of explore lots of different tools and strategies to help me to support my own mental health. And so I feel like I'm in a position where I can share some of that knowledge with other people. Yeah, I think it's great to give back like that, especially when you have that personal experience to draw from. Absolutely. And I believe that all young people, and of course all LGBT young people deserve to to not just kind of survive life, but to thrive in life. And I think we are able to do that if we have the right support and the right tools. And I feel really, really passionate about that. Of course, yeah. Now, the topic of this episode is mindfulness. And I think you're a great person to give us maybe a quick overview of what mindfulness is. Mindfulness is the deliberate practice of being in the here and the now. So it's bringing our attention and our focus to the present moment. And so there are different tools that we can use in order to be more mindful in the moment. So I think the one we hear most often is around kind of mindfulness meditation, which meditations that are often guided to kind of bring us into our body, maybe, and how we're feeling in our body to kind of zone into what we're hearing around us, to move into how we're feeling kind of maybe with our emotions. We could think about going for a mindful walk, maybe. So that might be kind of really focusing on all of the details we see on that walk, like, oh, look at that bit of moss. You know, it might be, oh, look at that hedgehog. It could be just, it's just really being very present to the environment that surrounds you and making note of what you see. So we're not getting lost in thought. We are kind of stepping back and being present to what's going on. Yeah, it can be really great to look at the little details in the world. How it really shows for me is thinking about how most of everything in our towns and cities has been designed by someone and the thought that's been put into that. It's such a good point, actually, actually, Lisa. One of the things that I really like to do when I'm walking down the street and having a mindful walk is to look up. Because actually, if you look up above shops often, you'll see really quite beautiful buildings. And there's lots to see and appreciate. And you might see someone's got some lovely plants hanging outside of, you know, the window above somewhere that you wouldn't necessarily notice. And I think there's a lot around us in our world that we don't necessarily see because we're on our phone, we've got our headphones in, or we listen to something, or listen to it, unless it's the All Sorts podcast, in which case I'd say, you know, listen to that all the time. I think you're so right. There's so much to appreciate and see. And I think mindfulness helps us to step back and realise that we're not those thoughts. And I think that that is, can be really powerful. Totally. So on to a few questions from some of the young people who use the service. A quick question about what is the difference between mindfulness and good mental health? So mindfulness is a practice. So something that we do to help us to manage or improve our mental health. So they are quite different things, but they inform each other. There are about 10,000 plus research papers 
that have shown that mindfulness can have an incredibly positive impact on our mental health. So um, can lead us to feel more calm, less stressed, to have more self-acceptance, to have more energy. Next up, a question about media. Are there any fantasy and or sci-fi books slash films which explore mental health in depth that you're aware of? If so, any recommendations? I don't have an answer specifically for sci-fi and fantasy, but I do have some book recommendations for books that I go back to time and time again that I found so helpful and just to return to over the years. And I've read a lot of books about mental health. If I could recommend you buy no other book ever in your entire life, it's quite a strong statement. But if I do feel quite strongly about this book, and this book is called Lighthouse by an author called Michael James. It's a really small book, but it's really easy to navigate. It's very clearly signposted between different states of kind of feeling. So if you're feeling really low, if you're just feeling a bit flat, if you're feeling good, but you want to feel even better. And it just, it's really great for helping to kind of navigate some of the storms of life. So if you're feeling a bit overwhelmed, for example, it really helps kind of bring you back down to feeling a bit more grounded. Mindfulness related, I could recommend a book called The Little Book of Mindfulness by Dr. Patrizia Collard. Again, a really nice small little reference book that you can just kind of have around, dip in, dip out of, and it gives you a really nice little introduction to mindfulness. And another one that I really like for those that may be slightly more spiritually inclined, but you don't have to be, is called Living with Joy. And that's by Sanaya Roman. And that is also a book that I go back to time and time again. I try and read a bit of it every morning, actually, because it's kind of got like a daily play sheet. So you can kind of like set your tone for the day. That's really nice as well. And those books have all been super, super helpful for me. And I recommend them highly. They all sound amazing, honestly, especially with having a daily exercise practice thing to work from. Because a lot of mindfulness and anything really is about building a habit. Absolutely. And that's something that I really can't stress enough is that building a self-care routine into your everyday, ideally the morning, kind of setting your day off with a routine that really informs you kind of having a positive mental health day is a really good idea if you're able to do that. And that's something that I'm going to be covering in Open Mind Sessions. That leads on quite nicely to talking about Open Minds. What is the group? We're going to be having two twice monthly online groups. And we're going to be exploring a range of different topics, but it's going to be slightly different to how it was before, which I'm really excited about. So it's going to be a mix of what's called psychoeducational, which is basically a really fancy term for saying we're going to be looking at kind of tips and strategies and ways to kind of boost and manage our mental health. And that's going to alternate with kind of slightly more freer sessions where young people can come with questions, maybe questions they've always had around kind of mental health related stuff that they really want to know and ask. Maybe someone's kind of just like had a bit of a rough day and they want to talk about that in a group and we can all work together to kind of support that person. That's going to be different and that's going to be good. And I'm really looking forward to, to running it in that new way. We're going to be covering a range of different topics up until December. So we're going to be looking at managing uncertainty. And that I felt was really important given that, you know, we are living in fairly uncertain times and there are ways that we can navigate that uncertainty that can be less impactful. We're also going to be looking at managing our anxiety monster. We're going to be giving our anxiety monsters a name. And then we're going to be exploring how we can manage our mental health over the festive period as well. I think giving anxiety a name can be quite a good way of dealing with things. I know 
I came across a game by Nikki Case called Adventures with Anxiety, okay. and that is it personifies like anxiety as a wolf living inside a person's head, mm-hmm. and I think that personifying it can help a bit. Absolutely, and you can choose to feed that wolf or not feed that wolf, and we all have that choice, you know. And the wolf gets stronger if we feed it and weaker if we don't so sometimes it can be quite helpful to kind of visualize it in that way i think slight spoilers the conclusion they come to at the end is learning ways to live with that creature absolutely and anxiety can be helpful you know stress can be helpful it's it's not all bad it's just you're absolutely right it's about how we kind of learn to live with those challenging feelings so they're not ruling us we're in charge of them so you mentioned briefly how top tips can be a part of that group Hmm. so Are there any really big top tips or whatever that are simple that we can start in our homes? So if I can advise you to do nothing else at all, ever, aside from listening to the All Sorts podcast by Lighthouse by Michael James, it would be to meditate. There are some really good apps if you would like some guided support. So the Headspace app is a really popular one and that's very mindfulness based actually. There's one that I use that I really like called Insight Timer because you can set your own times and stuff like that. But you don't need anything at all to meditate. All you need is a space that's fairly quiet to close your eyes, to sit peacefully, to do a couple of deep breaths. And then you could simply focus on the light above your head. Every time your mind drifts off, just bring yourself back to focusing on that light. Your thoughts will come, that's a normal part of meditation, but then kind of bring your focus back to that light or a sound perhaps. Maybe you like white noise, you have white noise playing, just focus on that sound and the same principle. Thoughts come in, just focus on the sound. And the reason that I've put that as number one is because I think that the biggest kind of improvements I've seen in some people's mental health has been after they've started meditating, like really like big change like feeling so much better from people who were so resistant to doing meditation. So I think it's, it's a real biggie. And it's one of the ones that we resist the most because we find it really hard to sit in silence. Just start off with 10 minutes, start off with five minutes, one minute, whatever it is, and just build that practice into your morning. It can be really, really transformative. Second one would be get moving, exercise. I know anyone that's worked with me will know that I bang the exercise drum rather a lot. And that's just because it's had such a profound effect on my well-being. It doesn't have to be going to the gym. It doesn't have to be going for a run or a bike ride. Just get moving. Go out for a walk. Dance around your living room. Whatever it is that you enjoy, just do it. Because it's science. We release endorphins that make us feel really good. I think that journaling can be really helpful. So if you, you know, you've got some stuff on your mind or some feelings that are difficult, getting them out on paper, writing stuff down can be super helpful for making sense of what's going on in your head. Because I think we can get very lost in our thoughts and carried away. And we've gone from zero to 50 and actually journaling can help us go, wait a minute, what's going on here? Why am I feeling this? Where's this come from? What can I do about it? So I think it helps you to process and to plan. Talk to someone. If you're struggling, and you need some support, there are people who really want to support you. And whether that's friends or family, give them the opportunity to do that. If you know you want to come and talk to us at all sorts, we're here, we care, we want to know, we want to offer that support. We've got our groups, we've got our Talk It Out service, one-to-one emotional support services. Please let us know if you're struggling. And we can also signpost you to other services in the city who might be able to offer support as well. So there's so many options. You're not alone. Please do reach out. I think those are my top four. Yeah, those are all incredible. 
I think it's important to know that with mindfulness, that it is something you practice and it will be tough at the start. I think the number is it takes about two weeks to set in a habit. Mm. So try and keep that in mind of knowing that it will be tough to keep to it to start with. I think that is such a good point. We have to practice it until we begin to master it and it takes time, but it's worth it. So coming up, we have the winter period, which for a lot of people involves a lot of family stuff and also just the general lack of sunlight that comes with the winter months. Are there any particular things you can think about regarding those? I think that it's really important that if we can, we get outside and expose our skin to some sun because we need about 20 minutes of sun in order to get enough vitamin D. If we don't have enough vitamin D, it really can impact our energy levels and our mood. So that's why we tend to feel more sluggish in the winter because we're just not getting enough of that, that sun. If we're wearing our mittens and our hat, there's very little skin exposed. So we need to try and make sure that we're getting, we're getting some of that sunlight. And in the absence of that, eating foods that are vitamin D enriched. So if you eat fish, you know, fish is one of those foods that contains vitamin D. There's also some dairy products do if you don't eat either of those things. Mushrooms are a good shout. So they contain vitamin D. So those things are really important. And making sure we are still moving because our tendency tends to be that we're more stagnant in winter also. So we're not getting those endorphins as well. So it's no wonder that our kind of mental health suffers. And in terms of being home more, maybe that can be really challenging for some young people. I would say investing in our connections and friendships can be really valuable as a way to kind of get support outside of the home and also with whatever support that we are engaging with. In addition to that, I would say um, finding things that make you feel good, that help you to escape perhaps. So getting stuck into a good book or a series, nurturing plants, doing things that take you away a little bit and make you feel, give you a little boost. And also going back to mindfulness really and, and keeping in the present moment Thank you, Anna, for coming to chat with us. This was wonderful, as always. Oh, it was great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. And before we say goodbye and move on to the next bit of the podcast, have you got a a message for any young people listening? I certainly can't promise that things are going to get any less unpredictable than they are at the moment. What I would say is that, you know, what we're kind of reminded of at this time is that the only constant really in our lives is change. But what I can promise is that there are tools to help us to navigate that uncertainty, that we don't have to suffer and that we can feel good. Because if we use the right tools, the right books, build our routines and do things to look after ourselves, that can make an enormous difference to how we respond to things going on in the outside world. So come to Open Minds, access support if you need it, and we can kind of help you to put some of those tools in place so that things do feel a little bit better if they're challenging right now. Wonderful. Thank you. You're very welcome. Top tips for feeling good from one of the All Sorts team. Firstly, pamper yourself. Whether it's a long shower, a warm bath, or washing your hair, a little self-indulgence goes a long way. Two, exercise. It's a cliche for a reason. It took me a long time to take this advice seriously. But whether that's popping out for a walk or playing sports, being active is a great way to feel energised and produces lots of lovely, juicy endorphins. Three, sew some patches onto your favourite jacket. Make yourself a playlist of your top 50 songs and get settled in for a sewing session. Focusing on something fidgety 
and is a satisfying way to calm your nerves. book series we're going to talk about is the Tensor series by Neon Yang writing as J.Y. Yang. I love this series, especially the first book, The Black Tides of Heaven, um, for a very personal reason, but also because the world building is just exquisite. It's uh, set in a different kind of fantasy world, and it's like, you know what Tolkien did with all of the European cultures, just kind of shoving them in a blender in Lord of the Rings? The author does this for different aspects of various Asian cultures. They're from Singapore, and they know what they're talking about, basically, and it's wonderful to behold. The way that the world works is also that there's some very odd things going on with gravity, and the sun rises and sets multiple times in the day, and it's all kind of pointing towards the planet being donut-shaped, although that's never confirmed in the novel because it is very much fantasy, medieval-ish level technology. One of the most interesting segments of the book includes the main character attempting to describe a nuclear bomb using the words of someone who is mostly used to magic and things like carts. The series is comprised of four novellas, each written in a different style. Um, Only the second is written as a conventional story, which starts with the beginning and goes through to a narrative end, very simply. The first one is written as a set of four segments, each set around periods of the main character's life. The third is set as a series of letters and reports of someone investigating a terrible accident that's occurred. And the fourth is told as a long monologue retrospective, rather drunkenly in fact, of the protector who has been known as the villain all along and her backstory from the point of view of her greatest enemy and why that enmity came to be. The very personal reason for liking the story is because in the protagonist of the first book, Achaea, I saw for the first time someone who had a very similar view on gender to me in a book. I hadn't seen that before and it could only really work in a book because it's very internal. Um, in the world of the Tensorate books, people can choose their gender in teenagerhood. They are raised as gender neutral, and then they choose a gender. The problems with this system are that there is societal pressure to choose one of the genders depending on certain factors, including familial factors, and there is also a binary choice. And you can only be gender neutral as a child, and this is discussed more when Ryder, who is non-binary and an adult, is in the second book, but Achaea has to choose what fits, sort of, and they take a look at themselves in the mirror and go, I can't be a girl, so I'll be a boy, and that's what I had to choose to do for a rather relatively long period of my life compared to how long I've lived, so it was very relatable. The gender stuff, kind of, it affects everything, and I really like how 
J.Y. Yang did not take the easy route out of making it solve everything. This is also not available to poorer people as we find later on and it's a very nuanced view on it where like this thing which oh children should be able to choose their own genders is what is made more complicated and therefore more interesting as a narrative device. The books are about revolution, they are about overthrowing the status quo and this includes Akea especially, and Makoya, his sister, who can see the future, meeting people who exist in complicated ways within this framework. And it's great, it's interesting, and it's wonderful, and it really adds to that story of this revolution and this struggle against the protector. The second book I'd like to talk about is This Is How You Lose the Time War by Max Gladstone and Amal El Matar. You may have heard of this one, it's won a lot of awards this year. It's kind of written in this poetic style that is, it's really stylized. You'll either love it or hate it, it's been a sort of Marmite book. But it's set around these two rival agents, Red and Blue, who both work for opposite sides in a time war. And they start out leaving each other these little messages as taunts as they try and change and undo and alter what each other have done to the timeline to advance the war for their side. And they end up connecting through these letters and becoming friends and eventually falling in love. And that bit made me cry. Uh, there's a lot of bits in this book which make me cry. And it's just this kind of them coming to understand each other and then realising that they have to hide their love from each other's side. They cannot let on that the two most skilled agents are thinking of creating a third side, all of their own, and the way in which they eventually do that, because I'm not going to lie, it has a happy ending. Well, it has a working towards a happy ending. And it's just... It's a very beautiful love story, and yeah, it's one you should read. It's lovely. Thank you for listening to our episode. We hope you enjoyed it. A massive thank you to our funders, Sussex Community Foundation. Please email, tweet, or message us if you enjoyed this episode. Our email is podcast.allsortsyouth.org.uk. Thank you.